All right, this is gonna be a good one today. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary. I'm Peter Klein again, you already know that. Uh, thank you for downloading. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever possible. That again is the best, I'm not charging anything for these, that is the best way to support the show so that more people can find the show and then, you know, you know how business works. Anyway, a lot of money talk on the show today as Bill C-218 has been passed in Canada, which means single game sports wagering is going to be legal in this country very, very soon. We have all aspects of this covered. We have Moshe Lander. He is a sports economist at Concordia University. Um, he, he has this kind of covered from the dollars and cents perspective from the teams and for the country as a whole, as well as a couple of other things going on in the sports world right now. And then Jason Logan from Covers.com, he'll be stopping by to give us the gambler's perspective on this. So a lot of gambling talk. We'll have today's ticket at the end of the program. Had a good day on Monday. Uh, it was a social media day, but still uh, a good one. So we'll hope to continue the momentum here. But we have to talk a little bit anyway about what we saw in the sports world last night. And that was the Valley Oop as the Phoenix Suns take a 2-0 series lead over the Los Angeles Clippers. An incredible game. And from a Suns standpoint, you now have a 2-0 series lead without one of your most one of your two most important players. That is a very good spot to be in from a, a Phoenix Suns perspective. Like, if if they would have lost these first two games, it would have been, boy, that's tough, losing those two at home. But hopefully you get Chris Paul back and you can get back in the series. Now that you only need two wins with Chris Paul, huge, huge. That, that, that was one you just cannot lose from an LA Clippers perspective. And again, we are seeing this pattern of... I don't want to say, like, lesser players, because they're all in the NBA. They could kick my ass in basketball. But... Kind of the, these second and, and even third and fourth tier players having massive, massive moments in these playoffs. And last night it was campaign and, and he comes out with a, a great performance. And this has been a real good playoff for him as, as he has had to take and kind of a bigger role with the Phoenix Suns with Chris Paul dealing with injuries and in this situation dealing with a, a COVID um, scare, I suppose you could say. And, and so for, for campaign to be able to step up in this way, like that just helps the Suns out so, so much. But this really for Phoenix, there are a number of storylines going on right now with this club. You have Chris Paul, who is having a, I don't want to say career resurgence because dude has always been awesome, but he, he is finally getting all of the recognition that he deserves. Devin Booker is having his Jimmy Butler moment where he is kind of elevating into a new stratosphere of NBA superstars. But I think the biggest one, maybe not the biggest one, but certainly up there with those other two is welcome to the NBA, DeAndre Ayton. He is really turned himself into a legitimate threat with this Phoenix Suns team. And... At the time, it looked like, it's funny, because you have a couple of the players who were selected ahead of Luka, and you watch Luka play in the first round against the Clippers, and you just wonder, like, how, how, how could anyone have thought to pick anything over Luka Doncic? And the, the, the Atlanta Hawks had him, and then traded him. That looks a little bit better, now that Trey Young has them in the Eastern Conference Final, and the DeAndre Ayton pick, who was also selected ahead of Luka Doncic in that draft, that's looking a whole lot better because he has been a force in this postseason. Like, this is... I, I don't think I'm overstating it when I say this is a franchise changer for the Phoenix Suns. This is... 
that third piece. And, and if he can turn into a legitimate top five pick and that production that you're supposed to get from legitimate top five picks, that is just a, an absolute game changer for this Phoenix Suns team and will help this be more than just a one-off with, with Chris Paul. I lo- like that play last night, the alley-oop. Let's look at it from from both perspectives. From the the Phoenix side of things, I love the play design. Like there's, I I don't know how many teams would have actually tried that. And I know you see it, and it's like, oh well, that's the only way you you could have drawn that up. It's like, well, a lot of teams don't. A lot of teams will try like a quick catch and shoot. Um, when I did the 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 Twitter room, I forget what it's called, but with uh with Lucas a while back, and we were talking about clutch shots of of all time with the. LA Lakers, I think it was point four left when Derek Fisher made his catch and shoot against the San Antonio Spurs. You see a lot of times teams will just try a quick catch and shoot in that situation and it almost never works. So credit to Phoenix for the play design, but also I think you look at that play and it is a excellent play design. One, the main part of it that I like so much is you have Devin Booker being the primary screener. And Zubots does fight through the screen pretty well, but still, you have Devin Booker there, and Batum is going to be on him. He's not going to switch off of Devin Booker and have there be any opportunity for an open look for him. So they're going to focus more on Booker than they are on Aiton, and that gives him even just half a step of an advantage to be able to get that throwdown and set it up. So I thought having the guy who everyone thinks is going to get the ball in this situation be the screener, I thought was a very smart play design from the Phoenix Suns. For the Clippers, DeMarcus Cousins, that that is not how you defend an inbounds. Now, sometimes teams can get it even if you defend it very, very well. Like you had uh, Taco Fall come in to defend the inbounds play and they just heave it over top of them. OG Ananobi makes the, the catch and makes the three and that becomes kind of the shot of the, the Raptors playoff run last season. But DeMarcus Cousins defended that about as poorly as you possibly could. And if you're Zubots, if you are covering Aiton, like him rolling to the net is kind of the only, you're not going to have Aiton do the catch and shoot from 15 feet out, right? Like you're just not. So you have to know that him rolling to the basket is going to be the primary focus for him. And so defend that, maybe they could have defended it a little bit better, but still a phenomenal, phenomenal play from the the Phoenix Suns. And that is going to be an all-timer. We've seen a few of those in this postseason. Like there's going to be a lot of people who remember where they were when Damian Lillard went for 55. Uh, Tatum's 50 probably isn't going to get as much of that because they get shit kicked in the rest of the series. But this has been a very exciting postseason. And I think the stock of a lot of players in the NBA is going up because of this. Paul George, I don't know if he is one of them. Um, because like you, you look at what he has done with no Kawhi and he's been very good. And he is the, the reason why the Clippers are in this spot right now. After Kawhi goes down, he helps them get to the Western conference finals, but for sure make two free throws late. You end up losing this game by one. You miss two free throws with 8.2 seconds left like that. That just, that cannot happen when you are one of those star type of players. And he always just gets so close to, okay, this is the guy we thought he was going to be with the Pacers and then something will happen and it just goes away. But for the Clippers, that that's a loss that can't happen. 8.2, you're up by one. Your best player is stepping to the free throw line with a chance to, I mean, it wouldn't have iced the game because it still would have made it a three-point game, but you look at how it ended up. Mm-hmm. You can't have that loss. 
if you are the LA Clippers. And now they have to win four of their next five and the Suns are going to be getting healthier. And if Kawhi's coming back, it better be soon. And the longer this goes, the more you start to wonder if Kawhi is actually coming back. So a really, obviously, I'm not breaking any news here, a very difficult loss for the LA Clippers. From a hockey perspective, holy shit, Montreal Canadiens. There's just, there isn't a whole lot to break down from this game. Montreal is just better, and they have been better for almost this entire series. And Vegas, good bounce back on the other night as they are able to, to get the game to overtime and eventually get the game winner. But they were not the better team in that game that they won. And now Montreal is a win away from the cup final. And, and I just... They're playing so well right now. It is so tough to pick against them. And uh, a lot of the talk is going to be where are the Vegas top players? Like we talked about on Monday, they're there. They're just getting shut down by Montreal. I think this is more what Montreal is doing right than what Vegas is doing wrong. All right. Like I said, we got a couple of big interviews for you today. So this show is going to be a little bit longer than normal. Let's get right into it as Bill C218 is going to change a lot of things for a lot of people in this country. How much will it change things for the teams? Let's ask. The Canadian Senate has passed Bill C218, which means degenerates will now have more places to degenerate. And here to help us break that down is Moshe Lander. Uh, his official title is Senior Lecturer in Economics at Concordia university which sounds uh, i i would love to be called a senior lecturer at some point that that sounds very official but um the the purposes that we have him on today i'm sure he'll lecture me at some point uh but for our purposes today uh one of the preeminent sports economists in this country um moshe thank you for doing this today i really appreciate it my pleasure so bill c218 means single game sports gambling is now coming to the country of canada and a number of people in the circles that i roll with say about damn time um th this did feel like something that should have happened a very long time ago i guess before we get into the benefits of this what took so long morality it's hmm. it's pretty much nothing more than that, right? And so it's the same reason why it took so long to legalize marijuana or to legalize gay marriage or to extend same-sex benefits in the workplace. It's just a matter that morality has changed. And a lot of the things that we thought were amoral or irresponsible, we kind of realized are, in fact, not that much of a problem. And so this is just one of those things that the time has come where we realized that if you can bet on a single horse race, why can't you bet on a single hockey game? And once you start realizing that, yeah, there really is no different there, uh, then it all of a sudden it, it passes through no problem after a decade of trying. For a lot of the reaction, we've been seeing, oh, this is big for teams in this country. Can you explain how the, the teams in Canada now can benefit from this? The teams themselves aren't going to really benefit much directly, right? It's not like when you bet on uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs to lose in the first round. Uh, it's not like the Leafs get any portion of that, right? We, we're all familiar as sports fans with Pete Rose and gambling on games and what that does to anybody who participates directly in it. So, you know, it, it's not going to affect the teams in that sort of direct way. Where it is going to affect them is that, generally speaking, if you have a little bit of skin in the game, you're more engaged with the game. And so the idea then of making the uh, sporting experience a little more fun because you have a little money riding on it, uh, that means maybe more eyes on the TV, more bums in the seats and arenas, uh, more sponsorship dollars then, because if you know that you have more people watching, then you're going to be able to have more sponsorship. And that eventually trickles down to the team. And in fact, the players are going to benefit too then, because more revenues for the team means more salaries for the players too. 
And one thing that I've seen a few people talking about is in arenas now potentially having like some kind of a kiosk or some kind of a, a sports book or something like that. Like uh, I'm, I do still think that there is a bit of a complication with teams basically getting a cut off of gambling. But do you think that's something that teams can maybe take advantage of? They could. And I, I think that you're dead on the money there. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> you are you are going to see that, yeah, they're going to start opening up kiosks. And so in that sense, if you view that as being that the teams benefit by charging uh, a tenant rent, uh, fine. But, you know, the fact is that whether that's a hot dog stand or whether that's in-game betting, uh, it, that's not going to really change their bottom line all that much. But no, it, it's absolutely the case where, you know, you and I go to a Flames game and uh, you're getting up saying, hey, Moshe, I, I'm, I'm going to the concession. You want anything? Yeah. You know, here's 20 bucks. Grab me a hot dog and put down, uh, you know, the over under uh, on the second period outcome. Right. Forget the fact that you can bet in in single games. It's coming to a point where you're going to be able to bet on within period or on the same way we have like prop bets within the NFL, you know, especially at Super Bowl time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is the next penalty call going to be for or against the Flames? Uh, I, I absolutely see that 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 is the direction where we're heading. Uh, I just don't know that it's going to amount to a huge amount of money for the teams because okay. they're already using that space anyway. What about for leagues? And I, I guess specifically a lot of the focus, because the, this league is the only one that's exclusive to Canada, is, is the CFL. And coming off of a year where they didn't play, uh, I would suggest a bottle drive would be an economic boost for the, the Canadian Football League. But th this is something that a lot of CFL reporters are saying is a big deal for this league. So, so I will ask you, is this a big deal for the Canadian Football League? Uh, you, you know, I feel like we're doing, you know, the old pardon, the, the interruption, is this a big deal or a little deal or no deal? <laughs> right. Um, so I'll, I'll downplay it and I'll say that it's a little deal. I, okay. I don't think it's a big deal, but it's not no deal. The thing is that with gambling, uh, you need deep liquid markets, much in the same way that financial markets work well. If you have a large volume of shares that are trading, uh, you don't see the huge price swings and you don't see the great amounts of uncertainty or one person who comes in and decides to buy up a huge amount of shares and it jumps 100% in a single day. It's the same thing that goes on in sports betting, that if you have deep liquid markets, then this provides a certain amount of confidence to bettors, right? When you see the line at plus two and a half or minus three or the over under is 115 and a half, you're pretty confident that while it might move in the lead up to the game, it's not going to gyrate wildly. And that's the one thing that will scare any better is that these huge swings in the line because there's a better that comes in at the last minute. The NFL doesn't have this problem because even in Canada, we bet on NFL games. It's not the reverse though. Americans are not gonna start becoming really interested in the Labor Day classic between the Stamps and the Elks uh, because there's just not a lot of money that's in play there. And so the fact is you're not quite sure what you're seeing. Even if you get Vegas touts to put the line uh, at a reasonable number, the fact is there's just not enough money that's being bet there. So on the one hand, it is good for the CFL that it's going to at least create a more liquid and deeper market. That's good. But they'd be fooling themselves if they think that all of a sudden this is going to start competing with the NFL and probably not even on the same level as the NBA or the NHL in game day betting. So probably the sums are going to be really small. And the fact is that most CFL fans are hardcore fans to begin with. And the marginal fan that's going to come over because, hey, I can now gamble in the middle of the summer on, a, you know, a Bombers versus Red Blacks game. I don't know that that's making the huge uh, incremental difference to the CFL. So it's a little deal, but not a big deal. So it, it does kind of sound like the, the benefits for teams and leagues are more 
indirect than that this is these things are going to directly put this money in your pocket it's more this will generate interest which generates people spending money on on your product is that kind of the read i'm getting yeah and and that's probably the the biggest element of it right um if you're legalizing gambling it, i mean it was always legal i shouldn't say that if you're now allowing like single game there's clearly this move towards more liberalized views of gambling so if we want to look further down as to maybe what the next evolution is you can see that how many podcasts are now affiliated with say draftkings right the right. in the podcast world the dan lebitard deal for 50 million dollars to get in bed with draftkings this is a game changer in terms of the way that the gambling sites are getting involved with uh, commercial enterprises. Uh, you now have a hockey team in Vegas. You now have a football team in Vegas. When the NBA expands in the next decade, there's going to be an NBA franchise. Major League Baseball, whether it's the Oakland A's or somebody, they're heading for Vegas too. So the fact is that kind of that fourth wall in sports of that gambling is just something to be shunned is being relaxed. So how long then until somebody comes along and says, all right, I want to put DraftKings on top of the new Saddle Dome. So rather than it being Scotiabank, it's going to be the DraftKings Saddle Dome, right? Um, teams there are going to be able to find then that there's revenue sources um, by trying to capitalize on the relationship between the gambling element. We still tightly regulate it here through the government. But the fact is that the direction then is that, well, if the government can run it, why can't a private enterprise run it as well, as long as you put in safeguards? So I think that it's probably not the short-term gain that they're really looking at. It's that five to 10 years down the line that they're saying there might be some real money there uh, if people get really relaxed about the way gambling works. Uh, I have someone, I'm someone who uh, I will say partakes in, in this particular enterprise. Um, so obviously I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses. Is there a downside to, to this coming into to law now? Um, you know, you're going to hear some people say that it increases the likelihood of match fixing, right? So the idea mm -hmm. of the minimum two game parlay uh, to participate in gambling was that there's really nothing to be gained there by fixing a match, because even if you manage to fix one, you still have to go about trying to fix a second. And the idea is that the more games you try and fix, the more likely you're going to be exposed. So the risk now, of course, is that maybe there's a greater likelihood of match fixing. I don't buy that for a second. Um, you know, the fact is that Ben Simmons is making that ridiculous pass because, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's got something floating around in his head uh, that has him risk averse. It's not because he's taken a million bucks on the sly here from somebody, uh, you know, 1950s style uh, mafia payoffs or anything like that. So that's that's probably unlikely to have any sort of effect. And the fact is that leagues are way more vigilant now and they have way more data to see that if something weird is going on, they're going to see that analytically. Uh, and that's going to be the type of thing that, that prevents that from happening. So there, there's the potential for a downside there, but I think that's small. The other one, of course, is that uh, you know, everybody is always worried about the idea of addiction and the social problems that come with gambling. Um, you know, a, a low income person and a high income person putting $10 down on a game is not the same $10 because as a portion of income for the low income person, that's a greater portion of their income for sure. But also low income people tend to need to spend all of their income on the basic necessities, rent, clothing, uh, food, and things like that. And so they probably don't have as much disposable income that they can afford to lose on a gamble. So there is the fact that you might find that this creates maybe some greater social problems. But even there, I would also try and say that that negative side of things is probably offset by the fact that they're already gambling, but it's just right. being done offshore, or it's being done underground, or it's being done in a way where you can't track what's going on. 
bringing it above board, bringing some light into this industry makes it easier to identify problem people and get them the help that they need. So I don't see that there's a huge amount of downside here uh, from a financial aspect, uh, even from the social issues that tend to come with gambling. Uh, it's probably not a huge deal. And the fact is that I don't think the Windsor uh, is going to turn into the next Vegas. Niagara Falls is not going to become the next Atlantic City or anything like that. But the fact is that they were running models uh, through gambling based on uh, table games, card games, uh, the um, video uh, display terminals and things like that. Um, this might give them an element where they're not going to steal a huge amount of money away from the US, but the idea that we can now do it here in Canada just means that there is a financial aspect that the government can take advantage of. And so I, I just don't see that there's a lot of downside here. And I think that's why it passed so easily yesterday. The, the, the government taking advantage is kind of the, the next place I was going to go. And this is a, a sports show, but I mean, we I live in Canada. So, you know, having more money coming in isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, it, you mentioned marijuana in, in kind of the, the opening of this. And this kind of seems along those lines of people are doing it anyway. Let's make some money off of it. And we've already talked how the, the teams and leagues kind of benefit indirectly from this. So I would guess the, the direct benefactor then would, would be the, the Canadian government. Yeah. Yeah, as long as they continue to monopolize the uh, the industry the way they have been for the last 20, 30 years, uh, they're going to be the, the main recipients of it. Uh, there's probably still going to be some element of underground betting that goes on uh, and people that aren't quite ready to kind of go through the, the government sponsored, even with single game betting. Uh, but yeah, the, the reality is that give or take, there's maybe somewhere in the vicinity of five, maybe upwards of $10 billion dollars that's being gambled in Canada that's kind of circumventing uh, government rules. By introducing single game betting, if you're capturing half of that amount and then you're taxing on that amount, look, it's not going to eliminate a $350 billion deficit, let alone deal with a debt that's in the trillions of dollars. But uh, at this point, when you're running that deficit in the hundreds of billions, every billion dollars counts. And so uh, it, it's time has come. And yeah, the government's going to be the big benefactor. If they're looking to try and benefit society, of course, they can channel some of that into uh, increased education about gambling and the potential perils, uh, providing social services support to help with that. But they can also channel that money into things that would help broader society, whether that's infrastructure projects, um, you know, expansion of the green line and things like that, where you can provide support then um, to broader society so that it's not just going to particular segments uh, that maybe don't need the money or uh, you can get it through other sources. As far as the, the teams and the leagues are concerned, this hasn't necessarily been a financial windfall for them the last 18 months or so. Um, people are allowed back in buildings now, and that's been awesome to see in the playoffs. But in Canada, th that was not a luxury that was provided. I'm imagining we're going to see a, a few things to try to get a, a few more dollars brought into the, these places. Well, what are some other things you anticipate teams trying to kind of make up for what's been lost over the last 15, 18 months? You know, the fact is that they're not going to be able to make back a lot of the money because it's not like you can hold an extra season, right? So during the <laughs> pandemic, one of the things that we saw was, you know, there were certain uh, businesses that will be able to recover their losses, say like restaurants and bars. Hey, listen, I was used to going to this restaurant once a week. Now I've saved enough money over the last 18 months that I'm going to go two times a week, right? So you'll be able to claw back some of that, right? But a haircut is not something you can say that, uh, well, I missed out on, a, uh, you know, six weeks worth of haircuts 
uh, because they were closed. So now I'm going to go every other day to get a haircut, right? That money's not coming back. So it's one of those things that we're not going to have an extra season. We've seen, in fact, that the number of injuries has increased substantially in the NBA playoffs, the number of all-stars that have been missing games. Uh, the NHL is now looking like three seeds and four seeds and divisions that are advancing, which normally wouldn't happen because uh, everybody's a little bit messed up, schedules out of whack, didn't have the proper offseason. So they're going to have a hard time clawing back some of that money. Um, medium to longer term, other than the fact that, of course, the NHL has a brand new TV deal that's worth billions of dollars. Uh, women's sports have captured uh, the public imagination in a way that it hasn't in the past 20 years and maybe shows signs of growth there. Um, the, the big kind of moneymaker is going to be that we're about to head, head into a, a cycle of stadium and arena redevelopment. And one of the weird things that you're seeing counterintuitively is that small is beautiful. Um, the old 20,000 seat hockey arenas are now being replaced with 18 or even as low as 16,000, where you might think that that's a, a revenue loser. The fact is that as you constrain the supply of seats, the price is going to go up and that price increase is going to offset the decrease in seats. Baseball's about to go through that as well. And we're seeing that beginning uh, even a little bit before the pandemic. So they're going to start changing the way that their model works. They recognize that the money is coming from TV deals. Baseball makes way more money through creating 160 nights of programming than by bringing 50,000 fans into a cavernous stadium. So you're going to see that probably accelerate in the next little while. And there's going to be this lean on governments where they're going to say that, look, if you want to help rebuild your economy, building an arena or building a stadium will bring those benefits, even though that's not true. That's the way that they sell it. <laughs> right. And so you can imagine then that cities like Portland or, um, well, not Seattle now, but Houston, Quebec City, you know, they want an NHL team. And so they might dangle public money to build those arenas and stadiums to try and draw teams out of questionable marketplaces. And so that's going to be a way that they go about trying to capture some of that economic loss they've suffered over the last 18 months. The, the women's sports one that you mentioned is really fascinating to me. And at my last place that I was working at, um, I was saying like, hey, this is essentially untapped. Like it, it is getting better for sure. But if you're looking for any type of like, People know what the NHL is. People know what the NBA is. We, we've kind of, no one's just going to stumble on a baseball game. Oh shit, what's this? Like that, that's just not going to happen. But women's sports is like, I, I think the biggest potential growth area that there is in, in sports right now. Is that, are you kind of in, in the same line as me on that? Um, yeah, uh, for sure. Women's sports. Um, I'll, I'll even extend it, you know, like lacrosse is kind of on the upswing mm -hmm. now in terms of uh, even at the grassroots level, uh, soccer, right? The, the CPL is uh, gaining ground, uh, you know, a couple months every year. I'm usually in Halifax and I can't believe the way that the, the city has just completely taken that brand new team into its own uh, in Calgary, of course, as well. Right. Uh, the, the way that the team has uh, become a part of the community is is rapid and it's shocking and it's it's showing the the changing demographics of Canada and, and that's I think a good thing right um, you know if you take a look at baseball fans or even hockey fans right they're increasingly old white and male uh, and the fact is that the demography of Canada has changed radically in the last twenty five years in a way that those are becoming an increasing minority and so sports that tap into uh, more global sorts of dynamics, right? So soccer uh, is, is going to be much more interesting to immigrants. Uh, the success of the Raptors 
create an entire generation now of, of Raptors fans that are not Leafs fans. A half century of losing uh, has cost them dearly in terms of long-term fan support. And so women's sports are one of those growth areas as well then where uh, it's, it's a solid product. Um, many of the players that we're seeing today uh, are the beneficiaries of Title IX in the U.S., um, better training, uh, their, their skill level is of course, always going to fall short of the men's, but that's a physiological thing. But the fact is that if you compare where they are now to where they were 20 years ago, it's a night and day difference. And the fact is that again, when you're talking about hundreds of TV channels that are desperate for programming, when you can bring eyeballs with a quality product that takes up two hours, three hours, two nights, three nights a week for six months, um, people want to get behind that. And so it's kind of always been one of those chicken and the egg sorts of things, right? You don't want to put resources into women's sports because people don't watch it, but I don't want to watch it unless you put resources into women's sports. And I think kind of now the the situation is starting to resolve itself that, wait a second, we do want to put resources in because we need something on TV. And then that money is starting to filter down. And you can see that in the recent announcement, for example, where uh, you know salaries in the WNBA have been increased, um, still not on a par of multi-million dollar deals like we're going to see for Giannis or um, other free agents coming up. But the fact is that there's there's money there and there's now the promise of a career there. And that's going to create another generation then that 10, 15 years from now, we're going to be talking about how much better the product is there uh, because more resources are being channeled into it. Uh, I know we're kind of bouncing around now, but this kind of, just kind of popped in my head when you mentioned free agency there. Uh, well, with the NHL, like they, they have, obviously the on-ice product is kind of the main thing, but we've seen in the NBA the, the off the court stuff is almost more interesting than some of the, the stuff that happens on the court. And in the NHL, the salary cap being flat has kind of slowed that down a, a little bit. Do you think that with a, a lack of money that's been coming in over the last little bit and salaries kind of plateauing, some of that off the, the court field, ice, whatever movement might slow down a little bit and that might affect the interest, which as we talked about before, affects potential dollars coming into your product? It could, but that would only be a temporary phenomenon, right? We, right. we should expect that next year we're going to be back to full arenas and the regular sort of schedule. There's uh, the Seattle franchises coming into play. And so, you know, that in itself, they're going to travel through 31 other cities and every one of those cities is going to find that when Seattle comes, uh, there's going to be a sellout because even though it's an expansion team, everybody wants to see the expansion team or, you know, the, the merchandise sales are going to jump for Seattle. They're going to be up near the top. Uh, there's an expansion draft coming. So, you know, I, I don't know that it's going to cause a huge amount of uh, consternation in NHL head offices. And the interesting thing is that with a flat cap, uh, you know, the people at the top end of the market are still going to get theirs. And the people at the bottom end of the market are still going to get theirs because they're at the bottom end of the market, right? So you could almost imagine that the middle end of the market could actually create a very interesting offseason because how do you manage to keep everybody under the cap and under contract? It's usually the middle that gets squeezed. I guess that's kind of a parable for uh, the real world as well, <laughs> where it seems that it's always the middle income that, that gets squeezed. But, you know, they're going to be the ones that are going to have those salaries that you start looking at value for money. Uh, and try and shed some of those contacts or contracts. So you could find that there's actually a, a fairly interesting off season as people try and figure out how do you dump these salaries, trade them out uh, for future picks and try and get your books to, to balance uh, before the next season. So it, it could actually be interesting. We talked about arenas before. Uh, there's one that is trying to be built in this city uh, and the timing of that seems uh Pretty rough now, uh, given everything that's going on to the point. Uh, Ryan Pike from Flames Nation is tweeting that, hey, like, 
the stuff that you use to build arenas is now like three times more expensive than it was before. Do you anticipate that that sort of a thing being an issue over the next little while? As we talked about before, new stadiums is a, a new way of kind of generating revenue and generating excitement. If it's more expensive to build the damn thing, that, that might be a bit tricky, though. Yeah, and it's not only that it's more expensive, but they're lasting a shorter amount of time as well, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of the Montreal Forum or Chicago Stadium or Maple Leaf Gardens lasting for 60 years, first of all, those were anomalies anyway. But if you take a look at what's going on, say, with the Texas Rangers or the uh, Atlanta Braves, uh, both of them, I think, are on their third stadium in the last 25 years. Uh, so they're starting to cycle through them uh, almost like people cycle through their laundry, uh, that's a worrying sign then when a lot of these cities or a lot of these franchises are going to cities and holding them hostage, right? The, the leagues aren't stupid. And so they know that if you have a league of 32 teams, but you can keep 36 cities interested, you can play them off each other. Edmonton did it to perfection, right? They couldn't get the money for that arena. And then all of a sudden you see people starting to surface in Seattle, taking a vacation and leaking that information to the Edmonton Journal. And next thing you know, the city and the province are falling all over themselves to provide $250 million to build that arena. The Flames tried that as well, right? We saw that Brian Burke, among others, was talking to the Chamber of Commerce in Calgary and saying, you know, we could go to Houston. And apparently the leaders of the city don't understand the benefits. The fact is the city understood there aren't economic benefits that actually come from that. But if you can say that if you don't see it, maybe Houston does. Uh, maybe that's the type of thing that you end up with a quarter of a million dollars in public funds going into that new saddle dome uh, and providing sort of ancillary benefits and commercial development around the site and things like that. Uh, studies don't show that it brings a lot of economic benefit, but it is one of those things that in, in the coming decades, you don't want to be the politician that lets the flames leave town. So you're going to be the one then that makes sure they get the money, even though you know it's never going to pay itself off, because you're just going to assume that the public is a certain level of ignorant, uh, that by the time they realize that money's never materialized, uh, it's not your problem. It is kind of crazy that that happens though, right? Like th there there are, I, I don't know, I'm sure someone has put it together, but it's at like gosportsteams.blogspot.com. Like I, I, I just, there are so many studies that say, hey, this doesn't really pay off any investment that any cities put into this. And yet it's playing on egos and well, you don't want to be the guy who lets this leave. Like that, that is the only argument for it. And it works and it, it, it will never cease to amaze me. It's, it's stunning, right? So, you know, Concordia is in Montreal. And so the, the backdrop of the east end of the city is that disgusting 1976 monstrosity of the Olympic Stadium, right? If uh, you want a concrete slab to fall on your head, uh, you know where to go take a, a, a tourist destination. Um, but, but, you know, the, the fact is that these things are built more often than not for political reasons. And, you know, there was a recent study a few years ago, I won't bore you with the details, but it basically took a look at what would happen if you took every Chicago sports team and had them leave town? What would be the economic impact on the city? And the fact is that the number was approximately zero. And so I'm saying as a sports fan, like, don't get me wrong. I love going to Flames games, right? I love going to Stamps games. And, you know, my, my heart bleeds with sports and I, I love it beyond just academics. But the fact is that we do put an outsize amount of interest in sports. Uh, it gets its own section of a newspaper. It gets its own section on the 10 o'clock news. You have podcasts that are directly devoted to sports. Um, but, you know, we don't get excited uh, about Walmart and their profit announcements in the way that we get excited about are the Flames going to be able to keep their second line defense pair together next year. 
Um, so the fact is that when you start to realize that this plays this outsized role, right? How many times do we refer to the flames as we or us and the opposition as them? Uh, we don't talk about Walmart that way, right? right. Uh, I'm so proud of our Walmart. Um, even the Walmart employees probably don't talk about Walmart that way. So, you know, we do put an outsized proportion. And so politicians will just recognize that there's votes in it. And how many times have we seen them embarrass themselves, mispronouncing names or not really knowing how their team is doing, but they want to try and appear as a person of the people. And if the people's opium is sports, they want to be affiliated with it. And so when it comes time then to being able to say, you put money into this arena, you put money into the stadium, or we'll find somebody who will, you, you can't be the politician that's always going to be remembered for letting them go. Mention the name Marcelo Boo in Quebec City and see what happens, or Art Modell in Cleveland, right? They burned that guy in effigy, literally because he took that team to Baltimore because they offered him a stadium deal. Um, the, the fact is that politicians realize that that's going to stick much longer than I delivered you a green line uh, on the C train, right? And <laughs> right. so when, when trying to figure out how to allocate those limited resources, it, it goes into sports disproportionately, even though it doesn't bring the benefit. It's just, you know, everyone dreams of uh, being associated with something that generates such passion in the public. Do you think we'll ever see a time where like cities or provinces or even countries will get like, okay, we will give you this money, but we get like, 2% of the parking money until you've paid us back or, or something along those lines. Like, do, do you ever think there's going to be some kind of a balance struck where this or where like cities and provinces can actually benefit from this or it's not a net loss? Yeah. Um, I mean, you have some of that now already, right? That's okay. not a foreign concept within sports where, you know, take a look at the flames, for example. So the, the flames are operating on city property, right? So you know, there's a certain amount then that they're paying rent or that uh, the, the stuff that's connected to the stampede is in some context going to the city, it's going to the stampede foundation as well. But you know, the fact is that the cities get it. The thing is that once you decide that you want to breach the contract, right, what's the recourse? And that's the greatest danger that cities face. Um, if I build you the arena with my money and rent it to you, where is your commitment back to me? Right. So it's kind right. of like in a relationship, right, that if you make a commitment to someone, it only works as long as they're making a commitment back to you. Once they pull that commitment, what is your recourse? And so, you know, if the flames decide that they want to breach their contract and they want to head for Houston, they can say to the city, go ahead, sue us. Um, the, the city might realize that whatever they hope to recoup in terms of lost money is probably going to be washed away in legal fees and delays and, um, you know, decades worth of acrimony. And so it's probably one of those things that they just shrug and say, well, they, they hold the cards here, that the power imbalance is in a way that the city is always going to be in the weaker position negotiating because the leagues understand full well that you always want to keep other cities salivating. And all you do is you just occasionally leak that out into the, into the press that, you know, the Padres are unhappy with their stadium deal. I don't know, maybe they could go to Vegas. Well, all of a sudden then Vegas gears up and says, we could have baseball. We better build them a stadium. And then San Diego starts saying, well, we better build a stadium too. And so you can actually get two cities to do your bidding. Um, and because of that imbalance, then it's, it's one directional, right? The team mm -hmm. can leave, but the city can't. And the city can't say to the team, pack your bags and leave. Uh, you're, you're out of here, right? Um, you could say we, we're not interested in sports, uh, but the fact is that as long as the fans keep going, the, the power imbalance is always going to be that the city's going to have a hard time uh, guaranteeing their money back. 
Last one for you, as I've kept you far too long, and thank you very much for, for being generous with your time today. Uh, you mentioned the elk in there, or the elks uh, in there, and uh, even still just hearing it when you said Labor Day Classic, I was like, okay, yeah, the stamps and the, oh, right, elks, I, I forgot about that. Um, but I've always found it a little interesting that teams, specifically the ones who had names that were controversial, were so against changing it, because I, I kind of felt okay, like you, you have all of this history, more in Edmonton than in Washington, but you have all this history attached to this one name. However, you now have mucho, mucho more merchandise that you can sell. Like everyone wants a new Elks hat and all of this stuff in Edmonton. How much of a, a financial gain, I guess, is there for being able to sell new merchandise with new names on it and stuff like that? Um, there is a benefit, of course. Uh, but of course, what matters most is you got to put it out on the field or on the ice or on the court, right? Mm -hmm. So if the Elks come out with uh, a stinker of a one in 13 season, which of course we all hope they do, um, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden then that Elks merchandise is going to dry up pretty quickly, right? Everybody loves a winner. And so, you know, in the initial rebranding, yeah, there's a huge boost in sales, right? But it's only going to be sustained if you actually put a good product out on the field. And so that's much more than anything, the, the greatest predictor of how much of a lasting impact that's going to have. And it's also part that you, you've got to have a city that's willing to accept it, right? So for all the years that there was pressure for Washington to change its team name, the fact is that most Washington fans were very much attached to the team name. And they said, yeah, it, it has a negative stereotype. And yeah, it has a negative history, but we don't see it that way. We, we don't say it within that context. When we were saying hail to the you know team name, it wasn't meant in a derogatory way. The, the Braves fan will tell you that the tomahawk chop and chant is not meant as an insult. It's meant as a team supporter. So, you know, if the team's fans say we're ready, we're okay with changing it, you put it out to uh, public consultation, you have a contest and naming, and um, that's the way that you can build it into the city, then we're, they're going to be supporting you know, just on a side note, they, they went with the Elks and fine, whatever. I think maybe tongue in cheek, they should have gone with like the Elkskimos. Um, <laughs> and then they could have really done a nice job. there, kind of keeping uh, that tie. But, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the fact is that um, you can name the team, whatever you want. If the team's a clunker, nobody wants to be caught dead wearing the green and gold uh, right. for that team. Right. So that, that's more than anything, what needs to matter. And usually then what you would do is you try and do a name change or a color change or a merge change uh, when the team is on the ascendant, uh, because that way it, it helps bake its way into the, the public consciousness. I always find, and I know I said that was the last one and I lied. Um, I always find it interesting when a team starts like the, I think you've seen it a little bit now with the, the Golden State Warriors, where obviously they had quite the peak over the, the last five years and just an incredible run. And now that it's kind of gone on the other side, they've gone back to some older jerseys and stuff like that. And it's almost like, hey, these jerseys that we were winning with, we don't want them associated with the losing we're doing now. So we're going to go away from them for a little bit so that we can bring them back as retro jerseys later so that you remember the good old days instead of the time where we lost in the play-in game to, to Memphis. I, I've, I've started to notice that a little bit more and maybe I'm just looking for something where there isn't something there, but I do find, um, I find it interesting how teams kind of utilize retro jerseys and remember the good old days and stuff like that. Retro jerseys, and you know, there's there's a certain element as well of uh, behavioral economics that's coming into play here as well, right? So without aging myself, 
you know, I can certainly remember turning on the TV, let's say 30 years ago, and you could tell instantaneously who you were watching merely by just the color. The right. Minnesota North Stars, remember, had that distinct forest green color that you knew instantaneously who it was, right? Now they could be wearing any number of colors that have nothing to do with that team. But one of the things that's come into play here is that if you think about kind of the old stereotypes that, you know, blue is for boys and pink is for girls and things like that, um, you, you're starting to find that teams are starting to try and pick color schemes that dig deep into our psychological uh, views of ourselves and our community. And so, you know, the uptick of black is often associated with the Raiders, uh, especially when they moved to LA and all of a sudden the, the rap community uh, got involved in supporting the Raiders and the black and silver spilled over to the Gretzky Kings. Mm -hmm. The fact is that things like black and red, which have long been understood to be associated with aggression and the idea, you know, we see it in sports cars that these are the ways that you show off like toxic masculinity and things like that. All of a sudden, teams are starting to realize that we need to start introducing dollops of black or red, right? Take a look at the Flames jersey, right? About 20 years ago, they started introducing just that outline in black and what was traditionally red, white, and then yellow. Mm -hmm. um, so all of a sudden then it's, it's more than just that they're looking for retro or they're looking to try and create these positive feelings about the past. They are looking at the psychological behavior of fans and what is it that fans are looking for that makes them feel attachment, that makes them feel proud, that makes them want to say we and us when they have nothing to do with the team. Uh, because that's the way that you boost sales. And that's the way that you boost wanting to gamble. That's the way that you boost wanting to go put your bum in the seat and pay for outrageous parking and concession stand prices. Because I feel proud that this color scheme is representing who I am. And so it sounds really weird that, you know, you, you would think that what matters is the players and the performance. But like Jerry Seinfeld said, you really are cheering for laundry at the end of the day. So you may as well make that laundry as much Armani as you can, rather than no name brand uh, bargain bin. And so I, I think that part of that redesign of jerseys as well, and trotting out a litany of third, fourth and fifth jerseys is in part to tap into that. Uh, Moshe, thank you very much for this today. This has been a lot of fun. And, and I did not tell you nearly enough about all the ground we were covering today and you nailed it. So thank you very, very much. And uh, we will do this again soon, I hope. Absolutely. I look forward to it. music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be and check out their new song Drowning out now. Very pleased to be joined by senior industry analyst and managing editor at Covers. He is Jason Logan. Jason, thank you for doing this today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. It's an exciting time for sports betting in Canada. So. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Bill C-218 is really causing a lot of headlines over the last little bit. I, I guess before we get too far into it, what is Bill C-218 for some people who may not be as familiar with this whole thing? Sure. I mean, we could, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you the Coles Notes version. Essentially, right. it's allowing for single game wagering on sporting events in Canada which uh, hasn't been allowed for a very, very long time. And, you know, Canadian sports bettors kind of stuck with the lottery commission's uh, version of sports betting, which is had to be parlay. So you had to either tie two or more games together uh, in order to place bets, which decreases your chances of winning. And also to those, those lottery lines and odds weren't exactly on par with 
kind of what parlays are supposed to pay out. So kind of a, a, a bastardized version of sports betting we've been dealing with here for, for a long time in Canada. Yeah, I um the, the last place I worked at, we, we did a thing with, with Sports Select where we, we did our NFL locks of the whatever the hell. And I would go like three and one each week. And so, oh, well, <laughs> guess you lost. It's like the fuck I did. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's that that's parlay betting in a nutshell there. And it, uh, you know, it was the one legal avenue. Now, Canadian sports betting has kind of had this gray area or gray market, uh, not exactly cracking down on operators from, say, the UK or Europe, as well as those offshore operators, too, that you see that are, you know, outside of the, U- the United States. And then there's um, some unique setups in Canada, too, through um, some of some of the uh, indigenous tribes is that they run online sports betting um, and have been allowed to operate. So there's, there's other sites out there that are, uh, you know, wouldn't call them approved, but they're not illegal. So it falls into that gray, that gray abyss. Uh, And hopefully, you know, C290 is going to clear up those sort of things, get out uh, a lot of the underground, you know, some of the, the, the backroom bookies and and underground sports books and stuff like that. Paperheads, you're going to see people, you know, moving from those, getting away from those and getting into to more legal and legislated and things that are easier to kind of get your money in and out of as well too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And like a lot of the, the websites would kind of get around it with advertising, like, Hey, look at all this information you have. And by the way, if you click this link, then maybe you can play some of these, huh? Like who's yeah, to yeah. say? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting how this rolls out. I think the lottery mm-hmm still going to play a, a big role in this and maybe depending on the province may play the only role in sports betting uh which i'm not a giant fan of um but we can get into more of, of kind of how this rolls out here as we go along so. right um so how, how would you we can go there now how, how would you like to, <laughs> to see this kind of kind of rolled out um it just sure. not just like one thing on a on the sports select ticket now or, or how would you like to see it yeah exactly i mean you know, in terms of legal sports betting, a lot, a lot of the reason why people ventured to UK books or online uh, offshore books or illegal bookmakers is because the product, the ProLine product was bad, or that Sports Select product, the lottery pop product was bad. And anytime you have a bad product, people are going to go elsewhere and they're going to look elsewhere. And it's fine for that small percentage of recreational bettors that likes to throw down their three and four and five team parlays on an, on an NFL Sunday, but for the guys that like to bet on sports every single night, I mean, it's, it's, it's just not a winnable situation and the payouts and the rake and the hold from the lottery commission stuff just is not sustainable in terms of, of the lifespan of a sports better. And what was happening is, is that these guys were venturing to online books and illegal books, and that is money that can't be taxed and can't come back into schools and roads. And, you know, what did they estimate? 5 billion going outside of Canada in terms of sports betting revenue, you know, and then you, you, if you throw a reasonable tax rate on that, something, you know, hopefully as we, as provinces roll this out, we see tax rates below 10%. That means that you're going to be able to offer a competitive product. So I'm in Ontario and Ontario, they seem to have their ducks in a row in terms of how they want to roll it out. The lottery commission could probably start offering sports betting right away if they wanted. And I think you're going to see that in places like BC with the play now product, they have an online sports betting setup, and they're like, okay, we could probably just start doing this right, right away. Um, the only issue is, is that what I'm hearing out of BC is that they're going to just limit it to play now and you only have that one option. So hmm. if you're a sports better and you don't like their odds or you don't like their offerings, 
uh, you don't like the way that they do business, then, you know, in terms of taking a legal route, you're kind of stuck with that. And you'll still continue to see betters bet with offshore books or UK operators and stuff like that, because one, the odds might be better. You're looking at probably like in terms of betting the spread, a minus 110 flat rate is kind of the industry standard, you know, wage, wager a dollar 10 to win a dollar. But the problem is, is with some of these lottery commissions that, you know, and, and depending on the tax rates set around this, um, you know, you may see that that regular spread bet get juiced up to minus 130 or minus 140. Right. See that in some states, places like Pennsylvania in the United States, I believe their tax rate is over 30 uh, percent. New York is proposing a over 50 percent uh, tax rate on their mobile betting, which hasn't officially rolled out yet, too. And what happens there is that the sports bettors are the sorry, the sports book operators have to dish out so much money back to the state or back to the province that it's tough for them to keep the lights on and just kind of pay and cover their overhead of just operating in that state. So they have to generate more handle and they have to generate more hold. And in order to do so, uh, they have to kind of raise the cost of making that bet. And that's when you see that start to trickle down to the product itself. And instead of a minus 110 flat rate, which is kind of the fair and, you know, that's what you see in Nevada and New Jersey and places like Colorado uh, that have rolled it out and, and rolled it out well, um, then you see, see these kind of large uh, spreads or sort of these large, large number of big out there. And it's just, it, it waters down the product and you're going to have people venture elsewhere to do to, you know, it may not matter to the guy who wants to bet five bucks here. It's cents on the dollar when it comes to that. Right. For guys that are betting constantly and for anyone that's betting any good chunk of change here, they're going to shop around for the best price. And, and whether that's a legal road or an illegal route, um, you know, let's, let's hope that it, it that it is a kind of a fair market for sports betting. Mm-hmm. They only get that one sports book, whether that's lottery run, uh, let's make sure it's a fair market. In Ontario, right. they're, they're kind of looking at having multiple operator, operators out there. So the big guys, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's and the points bets, the, the Bet365, obviously the score has their their betting, their, their sports betting portal as well too. They're a long established Canadian media company that has this beloved app and just such an easy conversion into it. If you've ever gone into the score uh, app and looked at the chat, it's just all live betting and betting chatter and guys yeah. owning about their bets and, and all of this. So, um, you know, there's an audience already there for sports betting for them. And so hopefully in Ontario, we get this nice, robust market, which benefits the consumer benefits. It's just like, you know, if you want a hamburger, you can go to McDonald's or I can go to Wendy's or Burger King, or if I want a really nice hamburger, I can go to the restaurant down the street, or I can, you know, find, I can find what I want. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the, the world is my oyster when I have all these options. But if I just have one crappy burger joint in town, um, you know, I'm kind of stuck eating that crappy right. burger. So hopefully we're not stuck eating a crappy burger, uh, at least in Ontario here. And uh, I think you'll see that the lottery commissions recognize this as well too. And you're going to have a nice competitive landscape. Everyone's going to be kind of grabbing for market share, which is something that they saw in New Jersey. Some of the New Jersey books were basically bending over backwards and giving away tons of bonuses and free play and, and uh, all these bet boosts and stuff like that, just to entice players to come in and get that, get that player. Um, And then also too, as a sports better and a a savvy sports better, you can have multiple sports books. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if someone's dealing uh, minus seven on the chiefs tonight and someone's dealing minus six and a half, 
you know, I can shop around and get the better of the number. If I want to bet the chiefs, I can take the six and a half of the chiefs or I, if I like the underdog, I can say, Oh, well, I'm going to get the extra half point here on the, on this team at the key number of seven and, and shop around there. So having multiple operators uh, all offering, you know, a competitive product and kind of vying for customer base, that's great for the client. That's great right. for the customer. It's great for the sports better. The last thing you want to see is, is kind of a real watered down product. That's not comparable. And, and it's, it's continuing to push people away into uh, operations that aren't taxable. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask about like the, the guy who already has uh, a couple of offshore accounts. Um, yeah. Someone who's like, uh, I'm betting on the first five innings on the Mets because DeGrom is pitching. Like guys who take this relatively seriously um, mm-hmm. in terms of changes to their life for, for this sort of a thing. Is it really, is it just going to be, well, now you have another place that's going to have a number, another number out there. Like, is it just providing that variety or is something else going to change for them? Do you think? Yeah, it, yeah I guess so. I mean, yeah, it's always good to have a bunch of outs, you know, right. you can, you can have a book here and a book here. Um, whether they start cracking down on the offshore books like you've seen in the States, I don't know if that's going to come into to place. I think, you know, I think offering an ease of money in and an ease of money out is always uh, a benefit to the sports better. And that's what's going to attract a lot of the casual sports bettors. Mm-hmm. As you know, you know, with some of these offshore operators, you're either giving them your credit card number and you don't know who you're giving it to. <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of the banks just won't take it anyway. They just don't approve right. it. Um, or you're dealing with money transfers that take time and effort and you got to be done in person and send them back and forth. There's always these loopholes. And then the, the rise in cryptocurrency has been such a boom for the offshore operators as well, too. I've, I've funded books with crypto. It's super, super easy to get in and out. It's, it's almost too easy to get in and out uh, in terms of depositing into your bank account or depositing into your, into your bankroll and then withdrawing. They're pretty quick with it, too. You're not having to sit around and wait for them to process this money order that shows up and it's from some crazy holding company and <laughs> like that. Uh, you get those dirty looks at the bank when you, when you bring those checks in, but um, you know, it, it's a, it's the reason why people play pro line because they can go to the gas station and flop down five bucks and have their ticket. Right. So if they can make it, if they can put the emphasis on online mobile, cause that's where everyone wants to bet. The sports book is no longer in the casino. It's in the living room now. Um, and the mobile capability allows you to get down on multiple markets, multiple games, the in-game betting, which is something you couldn't do uh, through a pro line and stuff like that. Um, but just ease of money in and out. So if I'm able to fund my account through my bank and that's great, or if I can get the, uh, if I can go to the store, go to the corner store and put my bet down and all of a sudden that becomes the sportsbook kiosk, um, then that's, that's, that's going to also help uh, especially with a lot of the new sports betters coming into it, mm-hmm. throw 25 bucks on the, on the Monday night football game. And they just want to be able to be able to do that as easy as possible. And then withdraw their winnings as easy as possible too. You know, when you win a pro line ticket, you just go to the gas station and slap it down and buddy pays it out unless you right. get astronomical, but for the most part, you're, you can get your cash back in hand. So. Yeah, um, I, I remember. And again, don't do anything illegal, kids. But I, I remember having to, to go get like a $50 prepaid Visa gift card and then put that in on places like it's it's kind of crazy to think of where it's gotten just in my time of, of enjoying this particular recreational habit around sports to, to go from that to now. Oh, yeah, the, the BC is going to have an app like it, it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, it's, it, it is a bit a little bit wild. I mean, with PASPA being repealed in the States, I mean, but this is something that Canada could have got out ahead of 
a long time ago. They had Bill C290, which I want to say is like 2012-ish. I'm trying to remember all my dates here, but it was <laughs> earlier, earlier in that decade. And it was the single game uh, sports betting bill. And it passed unanimously through the House of Commons, made it to the Senate. And that's where the leagues got involved. And you saw the NHL and Major League Baseball, these leagues that had franchises in Canada, and they were the first to oppose it. And then some of the arguments were just just so just so like way way out there like right oh what about these what about these you know fourth line hockey players and their wives are used to playing or used to living this lifestyle and they're going to fix games because of that if you allow for single game wagering and it was just like some of these stories and narratives were completely asinine and the thing is is within a legal and regulated market that's how you protect the integrity of the sports because the sports folks work hand in hand with the authorities, the gaming commissions, and they monitor the action. So anytime you see these match fixing claims come up in tennis or something like that, you know, it's rarely is it a WTA event or something like that, where it's like yeah. a thing. It's usually like a third tier tennis tournament somewhere in God knows where in Europe. And they're taking a, a regular amount of action on a particular match. And they're like, geez, we would normally only take maybe 500 bucks on this match, but there's, you know, now it's up to 18. Oh, now it's up to 2,500. Oh, now there's like $5,000 riding on this match. And that alerts authorities to say, you know, the sports books call them up and say, oh, we're getting irregular batting patterns on this match. You might want to investigate it. And sometimes, you know, there's smoke, there's fire. Sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. But that's how they catch these guys working hand in hand. And, and the Nevada sports books do the same thing with the NCAA and the NBA and the NFL. And they have for a long time. This isn't just new. Like they've, they've worked hand in hand to help kind of protect their players. Because as a sports better, you don't want to wager on a game that's fixed. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's just burning. I might as well burn my money up. And that makes me not, you know not want to bet anymore. And also too, it, it makes me hate that sport for not to, you know, protecting its integrity and its players, mm -hmm. you know, the leagues and the sports books don't want this stuff to happen because it just, it, it explodes their product. So, um, you know, with, with a legal and monitored market, you'll pick up on these sort of things. And that was one of the arguments for, for C218 was they were worried about match fixing. And the thing is, is that, you know, yeah, if you're a parlay betting system, yes, it is a lot harder to fix three games so that they all pan out. But right. in the big scheme of things, the Canadian sports betting hall is a drop in the bucket compared to what is happening globally. And the guys that are fixing these games aren't betting, you know, at DK in, in, in Canada, you know, they, right. they've got a bunch of different outs all over the place. They're going to spread their money out to a bunch of different places that are going to take the amount of money that you need to bet on those sort of things to make it worth your while too. So um you know, some of these, some of these mainstream sports books are pretty protective with their uh, bet limits and size of the wagers that you can get down to because they're, you know, they have to cover their own ass. So. Yeah. I, I've always found the match fixing one hilarious. Like the, the internet's existed for a very long time and yes. like you, you could, you could do it yesterday if you needed to. Um, yeah. But someone's going to wait for the province of Ontario so that you can only fill in one box instead of three. And now yeah. we're going to start max pitching. Like, really, really? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. The guys, the guys that want to do those sort of things, they, you know, they're not, uh, they're not waiting for, for the score app to opening. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've got, they know some guys who know some guys, those, those fellas, but uh, you know, <laughs> there are some other bugaboos that come about the problem gambling uh, issue is something that always comes up. 
Uh, it's something that's prevalent in the UK and in Europe. Um, and it's a, and then also to that oversaturation, we saw it with DFS, you turn it on NFL Sunday and you're just getting hit over the head with DK and FanDuel and sign up and do this and win lots of money. And so there, there definitely has to be a respectable amount of messaging and also a very tactful touch when it comes to sports betting. And that has to come from the sports books all the way down through to the operators and any media partners, teams, even places like covers.com, you know, we have to preach responsible gambling. And when you do make it a little more widely available, uh, definitely you're going to have more cases of problem gambling. Now, the great thing is here is that with legislated regulated books, they're all post-up shops. You have to have money in hand to bet. Right. Right. It's not credit books. Like you would get with like a, you know, an underground bookie or paperhead operators uh, where Tuesday the bookie comes collecting, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You could, you could be down five grand over the weekend and then he's showing up looking for his money uh, on Tuesday with, with these sports books, these legal and, and operated sports books, you know, they can, they can track betting patterns for accounts. Um, you know, there, there are sports books out there now that do this already. They'll give you an alert and say, Oh, by the way, do you know that you've wagered this much money or that, you know, that, that you've wagered placed this many bets this week, da, 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 da. You know, maybe it's time to take it. They'll have these little fail safe triggers that come in. And then much like a, kind of a watch list, they'll have people that can either opt in and opt out. So they're not allowed to, you know, if you're a problem gambler, you can put your name down and they can say, no, we're not going to take any bets from you. Um, yeah. Much like a, much like a bartender kind of regulating, you know, the guy at the bar who's falling over. Um, there is a, there is a responsibility from the top down for everyone. So. Uh, as far as covers.com goes, um, yeah. like, again, th these options have been available for a long time, but now with it being maybe a bit more mainstream, does this change how you guys, uh, for pardon the pun, but cover things uh, over there now? Um, I think it now, and not that it isn't already, but you're seeing it more so in the States and you're seeing it beginning to be in, in Canada now is the sports betting narrative is now the sports narrative, much like it is mm -hmm. in the UK, much like it is in Europe. Everyone knows the odds. Everyone, you know, they have a pundit come on and talk about the odds for this game. And it's very much part of the sports conversation right off the bat, where before I always said the, me the media was a little bit, uh, they were very picky when it came to when they wanted to talk about sports betting. And I always said, you know, Super Bowl, March Madness and Kentucky Derby. That's the three times that the mainstream media wants to talk about sports betting. And then the rest of the time, they're like, get back in the shadows, you degenerate gamblers. Right. They would never, ever bring that up. But now you're seeing, you know, ESPN has a sports betting show and Major League Baseball launched a sports betting show. Major League Baseball, of all places. Yeah. Pete Rose, uh, aside, you know, this they were one of the, the, the leagues that came through to the, to the defense uh, of the integrity of the game when C290 was on, was on the docket there tw uh, 10 years ago. So. Uh, and now they, you know, now, now that you're having venues with sports books in them, the NHL has uh, the stadium in, in Washington, just opened that William Hill sports book, mm -hmm. uh, much like you would see with uh, any of the, the soccer stadiums in the UK, you can go to a kiosk and place your bet or you just bet from your phone and live bet the game. And it's all, you know, team logos and players and everything is connected to it. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think there's, I think there's probably a bigger reach that we could find now because it is becoming more mainstream and it's not that taboo um, within the States, the, the repeal of PASPA. I mean, we have some great relationships with a lot of the major networks in the States. 
uh, a lot of the big local broadcasters as well too. And, and I'll do TV spots every week talking about the local teams or big events that are going on and, and, and telling that story from the sports betting side of thing. And uh, it just allows them to tell a different layer or give a different layer to their sports coverage. When we talk about, you know, us open is in San Diego and San Diego wants to talk about, you know, the local guys and want to talk about Mickelson and they want to talk about um, uh, Shoffley and those kind of guys, um, you know, and we'll do that for a bunch of different markets. So the, the interest is there. And I, the thing I love about sports betting in a sports discussion is you can't be on the fence about it because there right. is a line drawn in the sand. It's like, are the Lakers seven points better than the Bulls? Yes or no? It's like, yes, we all know the Patriots, you know, or, or the Chiefs are better than the Raiders. Okay, but are they three and a half points better than the Raiders? And that's, and that's the big debate. And then you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is. And, uh, and I love that, that there's, there's usually always a decisive uh, yes or no right. to, to the sports betting conversation, which you don't always get in sports. Sometimes they're like, well, if they do this and they do this, then they might win. But yeah, of course they're going to win. It's like, you know, but right. they'd be seven points better. It's, 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 a, great, uh, it's a great way to kind of uh, cut through a lot of the fluff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for this. I, I really, really appreciate it. This has been uh, a lot of fun. It's a subject I'm rather fascinated by. So uh, thank you for sh- uh, shedding some light on it today. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on anytime. All right. That is just about our show. But one last thing, a piece of business to do. I want to make this a more regular aspect of the program. And that is today's ticket. A bit of a big one today. We go to the NBA. The Atlanta Hawks are eight and a half point underdogs against the Milwaukee Bucks. I just... I think Milwaukee is designed very well to beat this Atlanta team, but I've been doubting Atlanta this whole time. I think they have enough shooting that they will be able to keep this game close. I think Milwaukee wins, but I don't think it's by nine points. So I I like the Hawks here. Lightning taking on the New York Islanders. Again, I cringe at the minus one and a half. Obviously, I don't think this is going to be another eight nothing blowout, but the the money line for the the Bolts is just too high at minus 150 right now. So I'm going to take minus one and a half and hope that I, I get an empty net goal late. Three from baseball. You have the Padres taking on the Dodgers. San Diego minus one and a half against LA. I like the Padres in this spot. Trevor Bauer, I wonder how much he will be affected by all the sticky stuff is all I'm going to say on that. But also he hasn't been pitching all that well. And this is, this is not Arizona who he had a nice performance against. This is a very good San Diego Padres team. I like the Padres here. I think they win this one with Musgrove going up against Trevor Bauer. Uh, I got the Blue Jays just minus 123 to win and Houston minus one and a half over the Baltimore Orioles. Not a whole lot of analysis on these. I just think the two baseball teams that I'm picking are better than the ones they're playing. George Springer doesn't have a huge impact on the game last night. Um, in terms of the Jays only scored a couple of runs. But uh, with Robbie Ray out there, he can be a little bit unpredictable, but he has been kind of trending a bit more predictable. So I, I like the Blue Jays in that spot. So again, Hawks plus eight and a half, Bolts minus one and a half, Padres minus one and a half, Blue Jays minus 123, and Houston minus one and a half. That is today's ticket. And that is the show. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is I like kind of getting in the weeds on some of this gambling talk. And this is... Some of the stuff I, I say when I, I do the, the cheesy slogan, smart sports talk for smart sports fans. Like this isn't this isn't just, hey, what you got? Like I, I like to I like to dive into these types of things more and more. So this was a really, really fun show for me. If you liked it, let me know. Rate, review, and subscribe. If you didn't like it, let me know. Leave a review still, but like make it five stars, but say, hey, by the way, I didn't like this. I'm kidding. 
review however you please. But if you don't like the show and want to hear something a little bit different, let me know. Twitter and Instagram, I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. YouTube, just search Couch Potato Diary, um, but I am on there as PrimetimeKlein1. Just a reminder, Okotope's dogs are in action. They've already had a few games. I will be doing the next one coming up tomorrow. You can check out my Twitter. I'll be tweeting out the link for where you can watch those games. And otherwise, um, if you want to hear more from me, we had no idea. This was a serious one this week, talking about Indigenous peoples in Canada. So check out that one. Just came out today. And find that show on Instagram, at We Had No Idea. Thanks to Wasted Talent. Thanks to you. And we will talk to you guys on Friday. I'm out.